five verses of Scripture in the New Testament which contain the word master. Each of these verses with the word master means a different thing. And I want us to think about them tonight in relation to Jesus as our master. And as we think of Jesus and all that he means to our life, how he touches, touches every facet of our life. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is being interpreted master or teacher, where dwellest thou? Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master or leader, even Christ. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, or overseer, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, and forbear threatening, knowing that he who is both their master or owner and yours in heaven, there is no respect of persons with him. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some unto honor and some unto dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's or for the emperor's use and prepared unto every good work. There is no title of Jesus more frequently mentioned within the New Testament or within our language today when we think of Jesus than that of Master. It is a word which proclaims that Christ is all in all to us, the master of our lives, the master of our thinking, the master of our being, Jesus, master of all that we are and all that we have. So let us take a look at just a moment now at this one English word, master, which is translated master from five separate words of the Greek, which tell us something about Jesus, which expands his meaning for us and brings him a little closer home to each of us. First, it is master, meaning teacher. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is being interpreted master or teacher, where dwellest thou? Men have forever sought the feet of great teachers. It's a wonderful thing to be beneath great men and to study them, to learn to love them, to draw something of them into yourself. The first time we see Paul, we see him at the feet of the great teacher Gamaliel, the great lawyer. And there he learned to be a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He learned to be a man who could challenge the Jews in any quarter of the world. Paul, wonderful man that he was, sat beneath the feet of teachers. And so when we see Jesus, 
we recognize in him that he is teacher above all. Men who do not recognize sometimes his sovereignty in other spheres of life and living recognize that he is the greatest teacher the world has ever known. That as he stood upon the mount, he taught them words of wisdom straight from the heart of God. And there are men who, while denying his deity, still say that if we would follow in the footsteps and follow the teachings of this Jesus of Galilee, this would be a better world and peace would reign. The greatness of teachers in our life cannot be underestimated or overspoken. Teachers are wonderful things to influence, to guide, to mold, to challenge that which we have, to channel it into service. We send our youngsters into the school system, and there we pray that they might come under the guidance of teachers who love God and who serve him. And who along with A's and B's and C's and fives and tens and fifteens will teach our young people about God in many ways will teach them the moral life as the supreme life. And it's a blessed thing to be under a wonderful teacher. And it is a cursed thing to be under one that would drive away from the fountain of knowledge. And so the whole world then, looking unto Jesus, recognizes him as supreme teacher, as supreme rabbi, as supreme master in the life. And there was a need, I noticed, in Jesus' time, there was a need in the life of his disciples that he should teach them. Have you ever wondered why Jesus stayed around the Lake of Galilee? His was a gospel that was to be spread around the world. His was a message of good hope, of good news. It was to reach the ends of the earth. Why is it that Jesus does not journey to Rome? All roads lead to Rome. Why does he not go there and call his disciples about him and teach them? There we see the caravans entering the city. We see men of every nationality and every dress and every tongue gathering beneath the spacious buildings and in the courtyard. Here, certainly, Jesus could gather and could teach these men, and they could go out over the highways and more rapidly spread the glorious good news. But Jesus stayed in Galilee. Jesus stayed because, I think, he knew that his disciples must be so imbued with his power that they must so thoroughly understand his message that when he would be gone in just a few short years that they could carry that message pure and undefiled to the ends of the earth. And so he stayed and he taught them persistently and constantly and clearly and plainly he spoke his message unto them, and he taught them from his own heart. And his disciples learned the lesson and taught others and went out to bless the world. Jesus, supreme teacher, taught simply, analyzes teaching, always simple. As he would walk with his followers down the road, he would point to a fig tree on the one side or over to the lake on the other or point up to the stars above. Or he would tell them simple little stories that they could all remember. Stories, wonderful stories, about a pearl of great price, about a lady who lost a coin, about a sheep that had wandered away. Jesus, simple in his teaching, drove his message into the hearts of his hearers. 
regardless of what man might do, he could understand. Whether he be the college professor or the president, or whether he dig the graves of the folks who had just died, all could understand the simple, glorious gospel of Christ because it was simply taught and naturally taught. The things that he spoke of came from his heart. Jesus does not speculate. Read the New Testament thoroughly. We'll never find Jesus saying, I think the Father says this, or I rather imagine that God means this. But God, Jesus, always drove home his message with a voice of authority. And when the temple guards came to pick him up and to arrest him, they went back and said, Never man spake as this man. For he spoke with divine authority, and his message was of himself, and he preached his message. He taught men that which they could learn from no other source. He gave them water from which that they could drink from no other fountain. He gave them bread that could come from no other source. Jesus, simple, beautiful, profound in his teaching, taught people. And he was called master of that day. And he's called master today because he was teacher first and foremost. But then master also means something else as we find it in the New Testament. It means leader. The scripture says, neither be ye called masters, for one is your master or leader even praise. Every boy and every girl knows the game of follow the leader. Someone must lead, others must follow. And there can never be great leadership without great followship. The two go hand in hand. You must follow your leaders. You must follow as they direct and pray that God will direct them. If we are to have leadership and followship, that will bring glory to his name and honor. Yes, follow the leader is a game that goes on in life. Not simply as children do we play it, but we play it in our influence. We play it with the friends that we have. If we're the stronger of the two, our friends will lean upon us and we can lead them to Christ. If that friend is stronger than we are, they may lead us away from Christ. But we need one leader, even Christ Jesus. His first and his last message to men was, follow me. Where do we see Jesus first in his ministry? He walks around the lake of Galilee one day, and the sun is shining, and he looks out over the lake away, and the little ships are there rocking in the way, and Peter is there, and he sees him fishing. And he says, come on, Peter, follow me. And straightway, Peter left his net and followed him. And on through the three years we followed Jesus, and that was his message. Jesus over and over again says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. And Jesus saith unto him, If thou would be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, and give it unto the poor, then thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and follow me. If any man will serve me, let him follow me, says Jesus. And so at the beginning, he, his command, his call is for fellowship. And at the end of his earthly ministry, we hear Peter asking him about the destiny of John. And what does he tell Peter? Jesus saith unto him, 
If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Peter, follow me. First and last, Jesus, master, Jesus, leader. The world today, as we know, sadly lacks leadership of a godly kind. It sadly lacks that type of leadership which calls upon God in prayer for leadership. We need today to turn. We need to recognize God is the one who will lead us, lead us on and up always. And if we follow God, where will it lead us? It will lead us into peace. It will lead us into a national and international peace because it will bring peace to the individual heart. Jesus is not the Jesus of a community, except as he is the Jesus, the leader, the master of every individual within that community. Jesus will bring peace to this world as you and I will preach his name and as men and women everywhere shall repent of their sins, shall turn from their wicked ways, and as they shall follow Jesus. Jesus will lead us always into peace, peace of soul and peace of heart, peace that we need, peace that we pray for. You're granted unto us. You'll lead us into love. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye love one another. Love one another. If one thing is needed today in the world, it is love. It's rather a hard thing to imagine, but we need to love the Russians today. We need to love some Chinese today. We need to love some Africans today. We need to love the folks around the corner today. And Christ will lead us there. He will lead us to love and to lift up others in love. Jesus will lead us into what is good for us. I noticed this in studying the lives of the men and the women who followed after Jesus, that he always led them aright. Those who stood within the presence of Jesus were lifted to newer and higher levels of life, never to lower. Those who would commit their ways to Jesus and let him become their leader, those walked a new path. They walked a brighter way. They walked with one who led them into all good and into all righteousness. And Jesus, when he stands around the lake of Galilee, and he speaks to Peter and says, follow me. He is not giving a call to the timid or to the weakling. He is giving a call to one who will stand in service, to one who will take up the cross and the banner, one who will march on and away and carry the news of Christ around the world. Christ today, in his supreme leadership, needs supreme fellowship from those who are not afraid to take up their cross and to follow him. But then the scriptures tell us something else about Jesus. It calls him master, but it means overseer or superintendent. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night. We haven't caught a thing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Master, overseer, Boss is a common word. We've toiled all night long and we haven't caught a thing. Nevertheless, because we know of your authority, we'll let down that net. And they let it down and drew in the net of fishes. We see it again when the disciples were riding on the little lake 
the storm comes up and Jesus is sleeping in the rear of the boat. And they're rocked to and fro and fear takes the disciples. And as they see the clouds moving over and the little boat is tipping back and forth and the water is beginning to slosh in from the sides of the boat, they, they wake Jesus up and they say, Master, Master, wake up lest we perish. And Jesus stands and takes command. Jesus, who is superintendent of the universe, who is overseer, Jesus, who is the ruler, takes control. And they recognize him as such and call him such. Do you remember the time that Peter was with Jesus upon the mount and standing upon the mount there, the glorious sight of the transfiguration? Peter, all impetuous Peter, always first to talk and last to think. Peter said, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us build three tabernacles, three tabernacles. But he was saying, Master, overseer, superintendent of everything, it's good for us to be here. And then the disciples came unto Jesus one day, and they said, Master, overseer of all that we are, overseer of our lives and our talents, overseer of everything, overseer of the powers of healing. There were some over here who were casting out demons in thy name, and, and we stopped them. They were coming to Jesus, recognizing that Jesus was the one, the supreme one, Jesus, overseer, ruler of their life. And so it is today, then, that the lordship of Jesus means no less as we look unto him. And isn't it a beautiful sight? I love to read over and over again the time when Jesus was walking down the way and the lepers looked unto him there with their bodies mangled, their rotten, putrid bodies, having to hold the finger before the face, their lips and holler out, unclean, unclean, as any would draw near unto them. But they saw Jesus come and recognizing in Jesus his divine sonship, they said, Jesus, Master, overseer of all that's wrong with us, heal us and have mercy upon us. They recognized in him that he was over all and over all. And then Jesus is called master in this sense as, an o as a superintendent or an overseer because it is Jesus that gives us our work. It is Jesus who has granted our commission. It is Jesus who has said to Bellevue Baptist Church, Go ye therefore into all the world, teach and preach and baptize and bring glory unto the Father. It's Jesus who has given us our commission. It is Jesus who has given us our marching orders to launch forth on faith for Christ, to move. And we are assured of this, that he who gives us our work grants us a divine passion for our work. Those who walked with Jesus thought he was beside himself because he would not rest. Day and night he went healing. Day and night he went teaching. Day and night he went preaching. Day and night he went when people called, when people needed. He always went when he was called. And they said he was beside himself and he ought to stop and he ought to slow down. We know of someone in our midst like that. But he had a divine passion from his father. And he could not refuse the call. And he went out always to serve. And he has promised us a divine passion to go along with our divine commission. Jesus has summoned us as his disciples to share his work. He said, we must work 
the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. But there is another sense in which the word master is used in reference to Jesus, and it's within this verse. And ye masters, do ye the same things unto them, and forbid threatening, knowing that he who is both their master or their owner, and yours in heaven, there is no respect of person with him. Jesus here is called an owner, one who owns, the opposite of slave. Paul, conceiving Jesus in his life, looked upon him as one who owned him thoroughly. He said, I am a bond slave, a slave of Christ. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm a servant, a slave of Christ. And so it is Christ who owns it. Owner, absolute in his lordship, as bond servant, as master is owner. Christians belong to Christ. So often when the questions of temptation come before us and we ask the question, should I do this or should I do that or where should I draw the line? What can I do and still be a good Christian? Remember this, that we make our decisions in the light, that we are not our own, that we belong to Christ, those of us who have trusted him, those of us who have been filled with his presence and with his power, those of us who know of the rebirth, those of us who have been regenerated, those of us who put our faith in Christ, we belong to Christ. No more are decisions ours alone to make. No more are the decisions for us to be studied over with our own little minds. But Christ must decide. No longer are we to face our problems alone, but Christ faces our problems because he owns us. No longer will we bear burdens alone because Christ is with us. Christ owns us. And this Christ who owns us, this Christ who possesses us, this Christ shall lead us on into wonderful paths of service. The Lord and the Master, Jesus Christ, is the owner of our lives. We belong to him, and our business is our calling. When Christ calls us to go, we can do nothing else but go. When Christ calls us to stay, we must stay. We must pray much, we must study much, we must think much. We must stay constantly in the presence of Jesus that he might direct us and lead us and guide us. We must always act in the presence of others as though we were not our own, but Christ owns us. And when you and I recognize the ownership of Christ, then all of the problems, all of the questions that come to mind are immediately solved. How many ask themselves, well, should I give God a tenth? Why should I give God a tenth? If that was right under the law, can we who are slaves of Christ do less, who are under love and in grace? Can you and I who do not own ourselves, can we claim the right to hold back that which does not belong to us? All that we are, all that we have, every talent that we have, every capability that we have, every possibility for future service that we have belongs to Christ and is his alone. It is not ours. Everything that is placed within our hands should be used for the blessing of mankind and the glory of God because it is not ours. It is God's. 
We are stewards of what he has given us. He is our owner. He is the one who controls us. He is the one who decides for us. He is the one who compels us to go in ways of service. But there is one last sense in the New Testament where the word master is used and it means something slightly different. And it's within this verse. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also some of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself, from these he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's or for the emperor's use, and prepared unto every good work. In the Napoleonic Wars, a soldier of Napoleon had been hit within the breast. The bullet had pierced very deeply, and he lay dying upon the field. And the surgeons came forth and stretched him out upon a little impromptu cot. And there they began to probe with the sharp knife down in search of the bullet. There, before the days of chloroform or ether, there he was able to watch them, and in his pain and in his agony of having the knife cut down deep into his breast, he haltingly and hesitatingly cried as they neared the cardiac region to the heart. He said, surgeon, be careful. Don't, don't cut much further. Don't go much deeper or you'll touch, you'll touch the emperor. He had hidden Napoleon in his heart, the emperor whom he served. And if a soldier in an army of the world would have such love for him who leads, for him who was his emperor, how much more should you, how much more should I enshrine Jesus as the emperor of our hearts? And how much more should we give ear to every divine command? And how much more should we listen to every divine sigh and wish? And how much more should we respond with all that we have and with all that we are and make Jesus Lord of our life? emperor of all that we have, responding to his every call. And how much more blessed would we be if we would take him as such? How much more powerful our lives would be if Jesus would become our emperor, if every step would be governed by his command and by his commission? Oh, there are men and women in here today within these walls listening over the radio, men and women who seek an emperor for their lives. They seek a master, a teacher, a leader, an overseer, one who will govern, one who will own, one who will lead. There are homes today that need a divine influence. There are homes, there are couples within these walls tonight that need to enshrine Jesus as emperor of the home to make decisions in the name and in the light and in the wisdom of Jesus. There are homes tonight that if resolve would be made to crown him Lord of Lords and King of Kings would be blessed homes, homes from which the radiance of Christ would stretch out to the house next door or to the house across the street and on down the street, across the city, across the state, across the nation. Jesus, who would be our all. 
Jesus, who would be our master in life. Jesus, with divine authority, who will teach us all good things, who will lead us in all good ways, who will grant unto us every good gift. Jesus begs tonight for your allegiance. For you who are outside of the love of Christ, for you who have never said yes, Jesus would say, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will hear my voice and will open unto me, I will come in and sup with thee and thee with me. Jesus, who stands without your heart and stands without your life, begs for admittance into your life. And you can do it tonight. You can say yes to Jesus. You can open the door of your life and say, I want you to be master. I want you to teach me. I want you to lead me. I want you to own me. I want you to possess me. I want you to be all and all unto me. And there are Christians here, half-hearted Christians. You're not real slaves of Christ because he commands and you do not follow. He's not really your emperor because he's given his marching orders and we stay back. But Jesus would stand before us and say, I would be master of your life. I would be master of all that you are and all that you have. If you'll give all to me and step out on faith, I will bless and keep and give and direct. Let Jesus be the master of your life. Let him control you. Tonight I beg of you in this place or listening over the radio, if you have never said yes to Jesus, would this be the night? Would this be the night that you let him become your master? Would this be the night that you would say yes, that you would open the door of your heart and let him in? I beg you that this might be that night. There are so many I see here tonight. I've been in your home. Dr. Lee has been in your home. We've begged you to come to Christ, but you said no. Excuse after excuse after excuse. But Jesus says, in simplicity, Jesus says in love, Jesus says, I want to be your master. I want to take your life, and I want to shape it into something wonderful and beautiful. I want to lift it from a plane that's below into an eternal plane, lifted high, a plane of service, a plane of love, plane of discipleship in which the world shall be blessed if you'll only follow. Tonight we give you this invitation to follow Christ and to make him the master of your life. We're going to stand and sing hymn number 162 and if you'll come, if you'll come accepting Christ, if you'll come as a Baptist and put your church letter here and walk with us for Christ. If you're a Christian, but you want to be a better Christian than you want him to be sole master of your life, tell us that tonight. Bless your own heart. As we stand now and as we sing, will you come? Number 162.